0: All right, so we are,
1: yep, take it away. All right, so um, tomorrow Sunday in Galloway at 2 p.m., you can look up the address. I don't have it memorized, but it's the Y-A-A-C, a a youth activist organization of Atlantic County, and they're having a, a protest with a march and speakers. I have been chosen to be one of the speakers. I submitted a speech and they help me narrow it down so the focus is specifically on police brutality and systemic racism and what i do in the speech is i weave together the theme of spiritual awakening oneness and how we're all connected like how you know people you say black lives matter people like well, but all lives matter, you know. But I'm like, yeah. that's how do you tell someone's a really in a racist denial thing, because we all got a little yeah. bit racism, probably. And uh, but like, yeah, but all lives don't matter to Black lives matter because there's yeah. uh, there's all kinds of stuff going on that, like, I yeah. think our system still like slavery, you know. I think yeah. and and, and on it.
0: Yeah, and, and 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 like I thought this was a perfect continuation. Um, about our previous conversation, and kind of, you know, like, discussing more of your spiritual awakening, and also a little bit of mine, and just how it relates to, and how a lot of our views have been shaped from from growing up, um, you know, living in May's Landing, you know, um, going to Ocrest, uh, Shainer, I recently found somebody online from, like, that I went to, like, Duperson and Shainer with, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of, it's always weird for me um, being, like, I guess the token black eye or the privileged black eye. Um, because my experience has been a lot different than the majority of black people. But there's obviously some overlap. But yeah, I mean, I thought when you were talking about the speech, we could talk about that a little bit more and then, you know, see how it relates. I mean, I guess we'll have to figure out if we're gonna release this before your your speech or afterwards, but either way, you know, I, I thought it was a very timely discussion. Um, and just, you know, in terms of I think the underlying issues and addressing them, especially as it relates to to South Jersey and just in this country of diversity and inclusion, it's important to to have these conversations with different people, you know, who we may agree with and may not disagree with. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. um, As far as the speech goes, like, I feel what I want to emphasize is just simplify it, you know, what happened to Floyd is there's no justice happening with that it was like a murder It was like a public lynching and like if there's no justice for that one man that one black man then there's no justice for any of us you know it's all connected and i feel like his eternal soul is like awakening this oneness awakening in the world i mean we, we only see the certain aspects of it like the external aspect of the revolution, whether it's like uprising that's aggressive or peaceful, all of that is connected to what's going on in our consciousness in your consciousness personally. And that's what I emphasize in the speech, how every, it all is connected like that. And we have to also be concerned with the revolution within changing our heart.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you brought up a a lot of really good points, uh, you know, about, about the consciousness within and just the revolution and just how, you know, how the universe works. You know, we talked about previously with the whole pandemic um, and the, and the coronavirus, how, you know, this is very much may very well be the planet's way uh, of defending itself or protecting itself. Um, And then with, with this, it's just, it's just been because people been discussions have been like, well, why now? And it's very much been a powder keg of of issues that have gone on far longer than this. Like when people say, "Oh, you know, like George George Floyd did this or that," it's not about just this one incident. You know, it's about things that have been going on for far longer than this. Microaggressions, yeah, police reform is is an important thing. Police brutality is a important thing. And and these things don't just affect black people. So it's it, it's that, and then, you know, to so your point, you know, in terms of, you know, the spiritual aspect, and this is the one thing that my uncle always reminds me of, my mentors remind me of, and it's the one thing, like, I, I worry about, you know, not even just black people, but specifically black people sometimes, is you have to be careful that you don't become too jaundiced and bitter and radicalized. And I think that's a really good point to, like, you know, the things we talked about before, you know, in terms of both my spiritual journey personally, and we'll talk more about yours, but you know, with me having Crohn's disease and and having issues, you know, as a black man, it's very, very easy to become radicalized and very bitter. Um, You know, I I did it for a, a point. And then you just, you have to learn that like those things aren't helpful. And I think kind of what's been helpful for me during this process, because normally I would feel very, very powerless um, you know, and I, I, w- I would also feel like I need to say something, do something, you know, with a matter of privilege as a black man. And so you can, you can get very much caught up in that. And you kind of have to channel that energy. And I think part of why I wanted to have this discussion, especially us being from South Jersey, is, you know, to, to help, help kids and people understand and just change some of that, shift that paradigm and, and get more people involved. Like, I would love to have, like, a resources of all of our wonderful friends from OCrest um, from all the different years and generations to be um, resources and mentors to the younger generation um, that's coming through OCrest. And I, and I hope that these conversations will be about that and just help people, prevent people from becoming very radicalized.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, like, it's, it's a as far as radicalization, like, uh, it's like that's often associated with uh, aggression with revolution. But you can be a peaceful radical. You could have radical ideas, which I think is not necessarily destructive at all. So I think it's important to define what one means by radical. But as far as Ocrest goes, you know, amazing times. And I do have like a story from Okrest that really shaped how I understand things spiritually today. So, should I tell it? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. All right. And, then, and then after I do that, how about you share something from your experience? Definitely. Definitely. Right. Great. That sounds great. So, all right. So, there I am in Ocrest. And this is by, uh, by sophomore year, I'm getting very depressed. Like, I associated with people and I had friendships. But I didn't like anybody. I didn't like myself. I was very depressed. I was going through a crisis in the sense that I was the opposite of spiritual. I was into total materialism, radical atheism, um, all of it just random atoms. And on top of this depression and this feeling of social isolation and social anxiety was really intense to the point where I was contemplating suicide. I never did attempt it or you know, at any point in my life, but I would think about it and consider it And that got worse until junior year that I didn't tell anyone. And everybody's like, well, Eric, well, he was nice in high school. I won't remember because it was all going in within me. And I put a good front that I was calm and, you know, cool or whatever. But I was really, all this stuff was going on inside. And at the time, I was reading a lot of books. And I read a lot of books about the 60s. And what intrigued me was the revolution aspect of it a lot, but also the psychedelic experience. And I didn't believe in spirituality. So I thought, oh, they're just having a fun time experiencing it. I didn't get, and they would talk about the spiritual aspect of psychedelics. And I'd say, oh, they're just on drugs. You know, I had that kind of attitude. But then I was at the point where it was really bad. And I was like, I want to try it. You know, I just got the urge to try it. And my friend got it for me, but I won't mention his name, of course. Cause, uh, <laughs> anyway, so he got a hold of some for me and I took it. And I was on a beach in South Jersey called Margate. And at that moment, I don't remember what happened up until Margaret, but once I was at Margate, it was about like 30, 40 minutes in, everything was alive. I was the most intense, happy feeling of fulfillment and contentment. And everything was breathing and glowing with like omnipresent like like everything. And then I remember at one point, every grain of sand was moving in slow motion out of my hand. Like and every grain of sand had a universe in it. A whole universe, and I could see all these spiral galaxies, and I was like, "Oh!" And then I was like, kayaking at one point, and everybody, no one around me was like, "Hey, are you on drugs?" No, because I was like, no, like peaceful, and they were getting very like contact high to the extreme because everyone around me, like I'd interact with them, and they'd be happier. I could just see it how the vibrations affect that. At one point, I was floating above my body, like about two, like one foot, two foot watching my body from above talk about something in a hot tub to someone at a barbecue later in the day anyway so i didn't have a thought in my head a concept i'm seeing god no thought just the actual zen of it and as i came down i was like oh i wish this would never end but it did end it's a drug it's gonna wear off but inside i knew there was a spiritual dimension to life i just didn't know to call it spiritual or god but once i started reading about that stuff i realized there was a spiritual element and then i read the book be here now but wait i was in okra right so after i had that experience i went the next day at okra i walked through the halls and i wasn't depressed i was happy and i just smiled at people and i just felt a kinship with my fellow oppressed high school people and i still had things come up the anxiety and problems a little depression but I didn't want to kill myself anymore. I was I had a, like I loved life. I was I was getting into Falcon TV. You remember Falcon TV? As I that, do. I started getting really into that. And my senior year, I was very passionate about becoming a filmmaker. So that was all due to my spiritual experience. But I was really like into that worldly success then. But then I read Be Here Now and that changed my life because it was in freshman year of college. And when I read Be Here Now, it got me into that same state. Without any drugs, just reading the book, I got there, and then nice. I everything is a big trip. So that's my story. Yeah. I can do it.
0: Yeah, I was I was gonna ask you like, uh, you know, were you able to, to to have that same feeling and experience, you know, after the drugs? And I'm glad that you, you were able to do that because um, you right know now. that, that
1: it's, called the, it's called the here and now, and there's a place inside me now where I watch everything unfold. From a place, this is going to sound pretty intense, but I have a place where I'm God. I'm God. Yeah. I'm not your God. My phone's God. Everything's God. There's this place inside that just is at that same place as on the beach without yeah. anything. I'm not on oh, no, LSD here right now or anything. I'm just being, you know. You know, so that's cool that meditation does work better, but it takes longer and it takes discipline.
0: Yeah. But, but, I mean, anything in life takes discipline. I mean, uh, we need to slow ourselves down and do more meditation and things like that. Um, so I completely understand it. Uh, one question for you. I, I didn't know that about you. I'm sorry to, to hear that. Uh, did, you, did you find after you had this, this a spiritual awakening, this, was there anybody that really, you know, as mean we we're from a small town, relatively small town. Was there anybody that, that like, understood like, what you were going through, like, afterwards, like, that you could relate to in terms of, of the, this newfound spiritual awakening?
1: Well, the only people, people that understand were the people that had done psychedelics at one point. They'd be like, oh, okay. yeah, I get that. But there were, I don't remember connecting with anyone into meditation or spirituality. Just, but people that took psychedelics before, yeah, I had some similar experience. But they would dismiss it as, oh, I was just, you know, on drugs. Like okay. A lot of people have that experience and they don't trust it, and they think, oh, I was just on drugs, and they just dismiss it like that, you know, even though yeah. our brain is already full of all these chemicals.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: No, I mean, because, because I, I think – That's a drug in a way, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, but, no, it's funny that you mention that, because I think one thing that they, they have shown success is, is with introducing meditation and yoga and stuff into schools, and I, I think that's something that would definitely help. Because, I mean, in a place like South Jersey, I mean – it's it's a suburban town, so there's there's but the pros of that. Feelings. But do
1: you remember anybody that was on that wavelength in high school? No,
0: I mean I wasn't on that wavelength. So I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean there were the kids that were like really really out there, but I didn't get that feeling about you back then. I mean I I've known you ever since we've known each other since we were kids. Yeah, you I know, remember interacting
1: it, with you more as a kid. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but it's just it's it's also sad because I I just feel bad that like you know. Not even just in the small towns, but that people, you know, go through have these feelings of anxiety and suicide, and and there's just they don't feel like there's anyone they can talk to.
1: Right. So that's always I feel you like know. there was anyone I could tell that.
0: Yeah. At the
1: time, yeah. now I'm very open about that. I share about my story, you know, that I did go through that time and psychedelics. I mean, I say I've done them in the past, you know. Yeah. And, but look at celebrities now; they have that trip. Have a good trip where sting talks about it sarah silverman a lot of people are coming forward and saying hey i had a really life-changing experience you know so it's not as like stigmatized as it was back when we were in high school and but my yeah. question to you is Keenan, what about the racial issues in our high school because i might have a different perception of that of you you know compared to you well that well that's well that, that's a good question too so like as far as like
0: racism like i was in that very small minority like I was a cool kid. So I was like, and that, but that also brings an interesting dynamic for me because I got along with the, the, especially as I got older, I got along with the cool kids. I got along with the nerdy kids. I got along with the, the, the jocks. Like, so I was that guy. So, but the problem that it, it led to later for me in life, it kind of, I didn't, I didn't, there was some, like, racism when I was younger. My brother felt it a lot more because he wasn't, um, he wasn't as much of the token black guy as me. So a lot of racism that people felt, um, you know, especially black people, I was kind of immune to that. Like, me and Mike were, maybe Mike might have felt a little more, he's a little more outspoken, but I was quiet, well, for the most part. You know, people that knew me knew I wasn't terribly quiet, but people always look at me as that outlier. And I have conversations now about it, about people like, and they just, they, they think that my life is perfect, but they also look at me as the, um, as, as the standard. And I'm, I always tell them I'm not the standard, I'm the exception. And they always look at me and be like, oh, well, I don't see color with you. And I'm like, well, that's very easy because you know, like uh, both my parents are college educated, I'm college educated, you know, I was always, you know, I always had a large group of friends. I was pretty decent at sports. I was smart, you know, so you, I'm the complete outlier. So for me, the only issue that I had growing up in a small town like Mays Landing was that sometimes I felt a little bit ostracized um, with some of the black people. I didn't feel like I really quite fit in. And I think maybe that's why I kept on myself um, but I still had a lot of friends. Like I still had all of these, like a really diverse group of friends. Like I do now as kind of the token black guy, I mean, there were some feelings of racism that I felt, um, you know, maybe like early on, um, you know, and, and in high school. And then maybe I was just like, you know, there's this general, um, like normal, you know, like teasing and things like that. But even still, like the guys that I may have, that may have teased me a little bit when I was younger, when I got older, they became my friends. So like I didn't I didn't have a lot of the same issues as a lot of other black people. And so for me, you know, going back into some of more of my spiritual journey, but for me it was like I had a very privileged life and I had to and I realized that because after college and then when I got into corporate America, that's when it hit me like like a pile of bricks. Like, oh, okay, like this is what some of my peers may have May have faced, and it's with people that look like me. But, but yeah, for me, um, I, I, I kind of like, I didn't, I didn't always fit in. But I, I created my own little world. I, I definitely get that from my mother, and for me, it was like I was kind of immune to a lot of things. You know, I, I was definitely sheltered in in those ways, and I think you know that's that's one thing that I think um, can be troubling. Um And then you just you you may tend to feel like uh, when Mike's girlfriend would tell me, like a lot of my like issues probably stem with more just feeling ostracized and not really feeling comfortable as a black man. Um, and so what I learned is sometimes when you when you go to schools and more in, in cities, there's a lot more minorities that are you know that, that are like you, that, that that are into sports, that are that are into academics, and you don't feel s- such a sense of isolation. But in the suburbs, that's the unfortunate part about it. You know, you may be well-rounded and have a lot of different friends, but you may at the same time not quite feel comfortable in your own skin. And so that was part of also my journey, um, which I'll get into more, but that was also part of my journey of, like, figuring out who I was because I had all these different interests thanks to my mother being wonderful and just surrounding me with so many different things, um, you know, making me very cultural and and having this – very, this, this great education. uh, But there was still a sense of like, where do I fit in in the world? And, And ultimately I just realized that I found places where I fit in more, but I also had to learn like in some of those spaces that I was really striving to fit in, I'm never going to fit in. So that was also kind of like a big part of my journey. And I'll go back to explain more later, but yeah, for me, in terms, in terms of racism, I had a very, very different approach uh, different, very, very different feelings and experiences on it that a lot of people did in South Jersey.
1: Yeah, uh, my experience of it was uh, what I remember is um, my uh, dad was like really leftist, and but he struggled with that leftist liberal racism that was like masked with humor. He didn't use the N word, but he would say things like as a joke, but you could tell like his little subtle subconscious racism coming out. And that was, I also got infected with that. And I try to work on it every day. And like, but he wouldn't use the N-word, which was like, I was about to do And he said, you know, when he was talking seriously that we're all equal. You know, he thought that he had experiences of spirituality where we're all one. So that applies to uh, ethnicity as well. So, uh, but his friends that were always in the shop hanging around, they were very racist. And they would use the N-word a lot. And I would get into arguments as I got older with them and a lot about it. And uh, yeah, they would just start just terrible stuff. And they, I know them to this day, they're all still very racist. And they have people that would vote for Trump or vote for, like one of them voted for McCain just because Obama was black. It was the first time he ever voted. He didn't care about politics until the guy was black. So I was surrounded by that and that was annoying. But yet my dad's teaching me this thing. And then you see the culture that's, like, in my opinion, cultural program racism into our culture. Like, you have the Cosby Show, but, like, what else do you have, you know, at that time? Yeah. So, and then you have all that. And then but I found our generation, I didn't see that that much. I felt like people saw that was bullshit a lot. Yeah, but but I, but I, also, I was like, you know, that's what I saw. Yeah, so.
0: yeah I, I think it was – it was kind of deep rooted. I don't know if it was so much our, our generation. I think like we kind of didn't really have those same ideals and beliefs. I've heard some of the younger um, classes that came after us felt a little bit differently about it. Um, But, but you mentioned something that was really good that I think is, is the cornerstone of also South Jersey. Like it's a small suburban town outside of a big city. And I think the one thing that, like I said, like I was kind of sheltered, in terms of, of my experiences growing up. But the one thing I learned is that it's just like, I was surprised, like, it was kind of like, a, a, definitely a spiritual awakening, when I would come back home and, and, and just hear people talking and then realize like, South Jersey was a very different place, a very different place than I remembered. Like, it was kind of like, really jarring. And then I but I was also surprised, We you know, us being from Mays Landing and right outside of Atlantic City, You know, when it came time to vote for Trump, because for a long time, I remember, you know, Trump as the guy who almost destroyed Atlantic City. So it was just it was just very, very weird to me when I was kind of realizing all this. And then then I kind of realized kind of stepping outside of myself and looking at it like these people just just feel those feel trapped. They feel like they've been overlooked. And I think, you know, you really saw that with the opioid crisis. And, like, I'll talk to people and, and, and like, friends and about their parents, and, um, and, you know, like, people have lost their jobs because of Trump in Atlantic City, but yet they, they still voted for him. And, and, and but it, it's also just really sad because, you know, they don't, that, and I don't want to sound too condescending, but they might not realize they're being manipulated. You know, their, their, their emotions and their fears are getting played on. You know, like, and and there being, you know, the 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 evils and the beauty of capitalism is about, you know, how it it, it um it, it 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 turns people against each other that that sh- yeah. that should, you know, that that are very they're way more similar than than different, and it's like, oh well, you know, I'm not getting more money than I should be getting, uh, you know obama in this country only cares about black people right now who doesn't care about me and you really really saw that sentiment and then that for me you know around that time was like oh okay like south jersey is a very very different place place than i thought like I, I i was just immune to it it was it was actually quite surprising to be quite honest and uh and yeah i just i just look back at it and i and i it, it's sad because you know obviously we still both have have a lot of friends and family from South Jersey and you just wish there was somebody that would more so unify the country because you you hate the feeling that like you're you're at odds with family and friends and they can't quite see that they're being manipulated and you just you just wish there was somebody that that would come out and say hey listen i, I i'm I'm, I want to unify people. I understand how you feel you may have been overlooked. I understand how you may have been overlooked, but, but as opposed to this rhetoric, like this person is this making your life worse. You know, when, when Trump was a, a, a grifter in many, many ways, didn't pay people in Atlantic City, bailed on them, almost crippled the city. And, and it's just like, it's just unfortunate because you can see, you know, like we've had conversations about capitalism, you can really see the evils of capitalism, where people feel people are unable to see to see the you know they're they're, they're cutting off their nose to spite their face. They just they, they that, don't. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Right.
1: That's So as far as capitalism goes and Trump, like I feel that capitalism manifests from our ego. It's like we have this collective ego, and it's this energy of separation. And that manifests into a society that is capitalism because it's all based in competition. And then that society reinforces that ego. So it's like this yeah. never-ending cycle. But yeah, that's what the spiritual awakening will break free of that. But as far as Trump is concerned, on one level, I feel he's the anti christ In this sense, and I say that in the speech, I call him out, but not in the sense that he's going to cause the end of the world. He signifies the end of the old ways and the beginning of the new And there are 25 passages in the Bible that predict his personality and they have different other connections. I feel he's like a dark mirror in the sense that there's an evil. He is completely identified with this pure evil of pure selfishness and pure uh, self-centeredness and narcissism and all that stuff. Just so, so much in it more than anyone on this planet. And what that does is it mirrors for society the ego we all have within our own head. And he is like this manifestation of that to get us to think. well, this is serious shit. We need a revolution. Look who is president, you know? Yeah.
0: No, that, that's actually a really good point. And when you break it like that, I completely understand. Because I've, I've said numerous times, you, um, there's, there's a TV show that escapes me. I'm uh, um, true detective. And the second season, it was this really great quote that said, you know, we get the world we deserve. And I, I, have, I have said, you know, I don't, I don't like Trump because I'm, you know, for the most part, to be quite honest, I'm kind of unaffected either way. But people that look like me aren't. But it, it's, 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 like you said, it's shown a mirror on who we really are and what this country is in, in a lot of ways. And it's, it's forcing us to change. But, you know, in many ways, we have elected the president that you can argue that we've elected the president that we deserve. And that can be very unsettling. But I think like, as you alluded to and was said, it's forcing us to to address these issues that have gone on long, for a long, long time. Not even just, you know, with respect to, 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 to black people, because the thing about, you know, as I was saying, with police reform and economic reform, these things make things easier for everyone, and I wish that's the thing that people realize. Like, Trump doesn't care about you. Trump doesn't care about people in South Jersey. <laughs> like he was, he crippled <laughs> South Jersey. You know, it, it's it, a
1: cult, uh, man. It's a cult of personality. It's like the biggest cult in politics. It's so much way like I Hitler. I mean, he doesn't have the camps, but you know, similarities are clear. But, that's, but
0: that's, a good, that's a good topic to touch on. I think some we talked about some of these things in, in the speech because, you know, with me being, especially being kind of the token black guy, uh, I kind of always have to tread lightly. I have to be careful what I say. I can't just straight up tell people in my office they're racist.
1: You oh, know, yeah. Hold I, I on, to, hold <laughs> on, I just got to get, you keep talking, but I got to get my charger, so. Okay, I don't want it to run out of battery. Yeah,
0: let me pause it. All right, so we're back, charging break. But yeah, you know, like, like I was saying, um, I think, you, you know, the kind of the interesting thing about it is, like, especially growing up in South Jersey and then also being corporate America is, you know, you, you have friends and family that, that you grew up like, they would like your family, and, you know, and your immediate family. And, you know, you can't, can't always just call them straight up racist. And, you know, in, in corporate America, if, if I had, if, if, there, if I was calling out every racist, I, you know, I wouldn't have a job. So it's like sewing that line. And I think that's also the thing that, that people are, are becoming very aware of, you know, like the whole thing with, with Black Lives Matter and then All Lives Matter. Like that's something that, you know, Black people experience on a, on a daily basis, like maybe not specifically in respect to, to police reform, but just microaggressions in every walks of life. And I think that's something that, you know, you kind of struggle with. How do you approach white privilege and, and how do people, you know, deal with white privilege? Because it, it, it can be a, a, a topic that just immediately throws people off and, and the conversation doesn't move any further. So it's like finding how to delicately approach that. And, you know, and I think this, the thing that we kind of talked about was, you know, you know, we always appreciate our allies. I and mean, then obviously there are people that are. That'll go more into the anarchist route, but it's like understanding how to be an ally and how to approach it because this is new new territory for some of you, and you know like it, it's it's jarring for you and you're just you know people a lot of people want to be like oh this guy's this guy's this guy's a damn racist, and it's like oh yeah you know we we've been through this we kind of we kind of learning that we we've learned how to deal with this on a daily basis, so you want to definitely like speak to that.
1: Yeah, I feel, uh, you know. It- a lot of people say to me that are well-intentioned, they're like, well, there is no white privilege and I'm a yoga teacher and I know we're all one, you know, yoga, yay, we're all one. There's no white privilege because of karma. You know, it's just their karma, you know? Why are you upset about your karma? Just manifest your dream job. Black people don't can manifest too. They just gotta make a vision board and do their yoga. And then there's no of that, you know, so I think that's like denial of not only white privilege, but denial of that racism. I find when I, I do shadow work, so I never want to deny anything in my shadow. So I look at my shadow and I discover a little bit of racism there. And I know it's not true. I know it's not true. I've been educated so many ways. I'm spiritual and all that, but still there it is. And it's not like severe, but it's like there. And I work on it and I just like be with it and be mindful of it. And then it goes away. It's, like, it's all around all the time. But, you know, I feel that all these white people could benefit a lot from seeing their own racism that's been subconscious and acknowledging their white privilege. And maybe once in a while, like use your white privilege for some good, you know? Yeah.
0: No, it's, it, it's like, it, it's not, it's not an attack on you. And I finally got that guy that we were talking about the capitalism thing to to where no one's attacking your freedoms. You know, it's, it, there are real evils, inherently evils of capitalism. You know, like you said, it it, it plays on ego and greed and our society rewards that. And that really creates a problem for poor people and minorities. And it, it's it's like, if you address that, then it, it makes it a better society for everyone. There's a massive wage gap, especially in places like South Jersey. There's, there's a dearth of opportunities. There's, there's a limited amount of industry, you know, like these things are, are better for everyone. But I also think in someone in their defense, the ideas aren't always approached and politicized that way. So, so I, I get it to some extent, you know, you know,
1: I remember that conversation. I really enjoyed that. Uh, I know they thought I was some crazy hippie, Tommy psychedelic, but I just feel that. Cap- I mean, it's obviously capitalism causes all this structural violence. But what about the the argument? There's no alternative to that because anything that's tried with a cooperative society ends up authoritarian. But I just have to fall into some sort of cooperative society that's based in the science and research resources we have on the earth and distribute them evenly to uh, those that need it and that is some sort of cooperative system now I think it's a good idea that come up with another name for it than the dreaded communism or socialism like democratic social we need a new word you know that people will yeah. automatically have 10 million assumptions about and won't understand it they're like i hate communism. what did you read what Karl marx actually wrote he said a voluntary society where everybody agrees to this system he didn't say yeah. like the communist party killing people and you know controlling everything he didn't, like that was a perversion of the manifesto you know i'm not yeah. saying we should do his system but we could learn uh. from all this stuff and develop some sort of system that deals with climate change and human rights and war you know and borders what are these border things dissolve all borders now
0: (laughs) yeah no and and yeah i completely agree i mean because democratic socialism is not like communism or other socialism in any other country you know you can you can simply have like a flat tax which should exist anyway you shouldn't have people not paying taxes making billions and billions of dollars you know, you can you can have term limits, you know, you, you, you can redistribute the wealth that's going to help middle class and, and lower class families, you know. But it's always like, oh, it's me, me against you as opposed to us against them. And and that's and that's the problem, you know. Yeah. And.
1: and sure. Yeah. Well, I think it comes yeah. out as far as money goes. My guru was big on that. He said money should be used to help others. And he also said money was like, is like blood, and it has to flow to the extremities. Like money is supposed to be circulated to the lower and middle classes, whether through a universal basic income or job opportunities or raising the minimum wage or universal health care. There's all kinds of ways it could be done. And the forgiving third world debt, all kinds of stuff that could be done yeah. to make it flow to the extremities. It's just we have these billionaires that are kind of like blood clots. Like, Bezos is going to become a trillionaire. Like, we're complaining about the – people are complaining about the looting. What about the looting that's being done that no one complains about except, like, leftists, like, really left leftists, the billionaires and that are just – and this Bezos is almost going to be a trillionaire, man.
0: Yeah. I think that's – I did want to ask is, – is I've had a couple conversations about, about the looting and the riots – and I think you, I saw something in your speech about Martin Luther King, and I definitely want to talk to you about that because, you know, me obviously being a person of privilege, I don't agree with rioting. I think there's, and looting. I think there's always a better way. But also I have a certain amount of privilege. So, you know, I didn't grow up in, I was born in Atlantic City, but I didn't grow up in Atlantic City. Uh, I almost got myself killed in Atlantic City, which was part of my spiritual awakening. But, you know, it's, it, it's, it's different, you know, and i I understand you know i was talking to my colleague and you know and then we're also just talking earlier before this call um the majority a large portion of the kids that were arrested for looting and vandalism in philadelphia were 18 to 24. 18 to 24. that's that's crazy and then he told me a story about a 16 year old that felt he didn't have any other options he felt so hopeless he felt like he was going to die at a young age that he didn't care about looting, and I mean that's something that I think people can't wrap their heads around. Like it's not about buildings. Even the, the CEO of Target came came out and said, "Hey, listen, we don't care about we'll, we'll, our people. Will be okay. We'll, we'll be okay." And I, and I think in this day and age, we've shown that you know no one really wants to see small businesses, minority-owned businesses damaged, even 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 if they're small, you know, white white-owned businesses. And I like to think of society and, and I've seen that where we can put together GoFund and our, GoFundMe pages and our resources to, to help these people out in, in ways that the government couldn't even do.
1: Right. But I think
0: yeah. that there's a really big gap where people care about more about looting and riots than they do about a human life. And, exactly. and that's really a exactly.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's like it's so true. Like I see a lot on Facebook of like these new agey white uh yeah like let's love everybody nonviolence, you know like why did you have to riot just like meditate you know like send your love beam to the oppressor you know i think like that's like waving your white privilege around like when a white person does that they are like look at me i'm so white i do yoga you know and like, i love your i love, I love your yoga love oppression. cracker, you know so like yeah. I just look at it as like, hey, why criticize the rioters? And I, w- I posted something like this. Martin Luther King, like you said, I quote him, riots are the language of the unheard. So I'm saying it's really not my place to come up here and say don't riot or do riot. That's why I, I try to bring that forward. I don't feel I can preach to the rioting community to say yeah. don't riot or people that are going to riot. People got to do what they got to do. It's a lot of yeah. anger out there. And who can blame them for that anger? Just put yourself in their shoes, being in their community. And wouldn't you want to do something? And some people, they feel they have no choice. They're not being heard.
0: So what do you think no, about I, that,
1: Tim? No, I, I completely agree. Even as a black man,
0: I, don't, I think I have too much privilege to tell someone not to riot. I can tell you to do things a better way. I can show you a better way, which is a good segue uh, as we wrap this up but it's not my place to tell you. Like, I didn't, I didn't grow up feeling completely hopeless. You know, like we, we went to good schools. We had good families. Like we lived in the suburbs. A lot, a lot of privilege. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who am I to tell you what to do and what not to do? And I think, you know, part of, I guess a little bit of my spiritual awakening was, you know, I was a very privileged kid, um, nice clothes, you know, very spoiled. Um, I, I, I had a part-time job and pretty much all that money went to my own luxuries. But I remember, um, we had, you know, a lot of the cool, cool, a lot of the cool black kids would always go to Atlantic city and Pleasantville. So, um, I was, I was dating a girl out there and, um, you know, like I I had, we had some jewelry, we'd go to Philadelphia and buy clothes. And so I remember, um, one time we had went to like, like an underage club in Atlantic city. And, you know, I was out there, like, flaunting my, flaunting my privilege as a black man. And uh, some guys, like, tried to take my jewelry and definitely tried to kill me. And I remember uh, it, was, it was a traumatic experience, as you might imagine. But it took me down a path where I was like, uh, uh, first there was the point where I wanted revenge. And, and then, but I was smart enough to quickly know what that journey would have took me on. Um, of, okay, I get a gun, try to go out for revenge. Like, wh- where is that going to take me? You know, and I, and I, and I quickly had to learn, and I, and I learned this same lesson learned later in life where it really made much more sense. Like, you're not, you're not invincible. You have a certain amount of privilege, but that can be taken. And I think that may be unsettling to people to feel like th- their privilege is being shifted, um, you know, or, or, or they're being overlooked. But you know you have to understand where that comes from. It comes from ego and and and, and arrogance. Um, you know, and and you have to look at and empathize and look at how you can help. And I think that's what I'm hoping these conversations and this series does. Um, I, I I didn't know that you were you were an aspiring filmmaker.
1: Um, yeah, I went I, to I'm Chapman a... Film School. I went to Chapman Film School. I made some student films, and now I edit little Facebook videos, but. I haven't uh, broken to Hollywood yet, but you know what? I wouldn't want to go there because you know, it's so much cover-up that goes there to, right. against women. I wouldn't want to deal with that. Like, I'll be on a set, and all these women are being raped by the producer. I don't like that. Yeah. Well, well, we,
0: we have been kicking around the idea of, like, different short stories and documentaries. Um, I'm into about... that
1: stuff. That's more my yeah. speed,
0: yeah. Let's let's do it, buddy. Because um, I think I there's some sort of so
1: st- with that. I'd love to do that. I'm, I have skills in editing, uh, but I don't have the equipment. I just have a little iMovie thing, and I got ideas that you bounced an idea off me, and you're like, "I want to do a documentary like that." I could throw in some. Maybe we would mesh together with something, or you know, someone. I'm open to all that sort of thing.
0: Let's do it, man. I think it's important, um, especially where we're from. You know the, there's the, there's limited outlets. You, you have but to what go. What do you think the documentary would be about? I think well they were working on a documentary about about Atlantic City. It was called Stories of Atlantic City, and I kind of co-opted that as a uh, Stories of Oakcrest. Uh, that's it's still a, a working title, but yeah, I mean, the, to me, I wanted to do a documentary about the different people that come through Oakcrest and have oh, it as i a resource. I'm going to be in it, right? Uh, yes, is this this is in and it right now. This this will, audio will be in it. Um, we'll work on after the pandemic. I, I always kind of dreamed of like being able to shoot stories and. Um, talk to people, you know, as, as initially it was always just a documentary. And then I kind of saw it as also kind of, um, a, a diversity and inclusion, a community relations thing, you know, how amazing would it be to, to, to have like, um, a, a student who's going through Ocrash or, or going through. Watching what you baby. Like yeah,
1: I get it. I get it. A,
0: and, and then be able to connect to a filmmaker or an artist or a painter, you know, and I think that's important, especially where we come from with the limited amount of outlets.
1: That's so, a great idea. A great idea. What do you think about incorporating into the documentary? It's a style I've, you've probably seen done before of stock footage stuff. Like you're someone's yeah. talking about something, and you throw in like a Google image, and then you throw in stock footage, and it gets like a more trippy effect. That's what I like. But no, I, I want
0: I want all the stories. Uh, I was talking to. I'm not sure. If you Remember Nathan Hall? Uh, I was talking to Nathan, oh, Nathan Hall.
1: Oh, Nathan. Yeah, he's amazing.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to Nathan Hall. I, I want all the stories to be different and unique as each person. So, yeah, I mean, if, if someone wants to use stock images or anything, I want them to be really creative and, and take on the art, artistic intent or the artistic direction of whoever the person is featured.
1: You know, because ah, I think we're so all, on my we're, story, I would be the Bob, how I want to edit it.
0: I mean, that is an awesome <laughs>
1: idea. <laughs> Thank you, sir. That's going to be amazing, on all the different input you'll get. Like, it will be like, I've been working on it. I, I don't remember a documentary quite like that. I've been working on it for a long, long time.
0: I just didn't have anything to attach it to. And then as things were developing, I'm like, this is, this is a community relations thing. This is, a, this is a diversity and inclusion thing. Because the thing that people, like, oh, like to what I was saying, especially with diversity and inclusion specifically, it, it's, it's politicized in kind of the wrong way sometimes, but it, it needs to be more inclusive because you need to have buy-in from everyone. These are difficult, complex problems that we can't easily fix by ourselves. We need the work of everyone, and we should have the work of everyone. And to me, how do you get more people involved? You, you, you speak a little bit to their ego, but it, it can be done in a way that's not self-serving, that's beneficial, mutually beneficial, and that really, really helps people. And, and I'm also hoping that Projects like that will bring more in- industry, more money, more resources to Atlantic City and South Jersey. So, that, that's one of my dreams. And I think that's a kind of a perfect way to end this.
1: All right. That sounds great. I got all kinds of ideas. So, contact me <laughs> later about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I will, buddy. Good luck with your speech tomorrow. And I'll send you over the audio. So, I mean, if you want to, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out Can break I, I'm, it I'm up into 30
1: minute sections.
0: Uh, you may need to do that. My
1: My editing is not nearly as good as I can do that. I can do that. I'm sorry. That's too much. Sorry. No, no, it's cool. I I, I
0: haven't done editing in a little while. But, yeah, um, let me – we'll catch up. Hold on. All right.